Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast here. I'm Jawad as always, and thank you for joining me as we look ahead to the final race of the 2021 F1 season. Hope you guys have all calmed down after what was a pretty, um, I was going to say pretty good, but then it, it all came back to me. Pretty messed up um, Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Um, and again, title battle ramifications and just, you know, crossing the line and all that sort of stuff, all the general jazz that we've had this season so far, but perhaps, you know, taken to the umpteenth degree, which I will do my best to uh, go over without going into a full-on rant on this week's show, Um, plenty to discuss from there, which was the bitter side of my uh, racing weekend, and then the sweet side of my racing weekend was the Bathurst 1000, the conclusion to the Supercars Championship as well this year. I will go into that a bit later. So we end the podcast on a more on a more positive note than we will get into from here. Um, excuse me for the sarcastic tone as well. You know, it's it's been a pretty pretty um, intense postscript from Saudi. Uh, you know, coming into the weekend, obviously, you know, new track, new um, place. A lot of people not happy that we're going to Saudi in the first place, which, you know, is fully understandable. Um, and then what we get out of it, you know, is nothing to do with the off-track stuff. It's all the on-track stuff and, you know, what was going on in race control and everything. Um, circuit itself, I've got to say, you know, I didn't watch any of the practice sessions qualifying was the first time I properly got any kind of indication as to what this circuit is like you know live and it's absolutely bonkers you know I it looks great you know from a visual perspective and also you know for qualifying you know looking how quick it is and everything but as a racetrack I think it's horrible you know, and I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who agree with this as well and would say, yeah, you know, if, if this got confined to the dustbin of history, it would be great. Not as bad as, you know, my impressions of Vietnam, you know, I've got to say, because when I played the Vietnam circuit, which, you know, obviously didn't get raced on in the 2020 championship, when I played it on F1 2020, I thought it was probably one of the worst circuits I've ever driven. Just there was no rhyme or rhythm. It was just horrible, 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 um, this didn't seem too bad from a rhythm perspective, but yeah, just for a race track, it just, yeah, you know, um, some people calling it a death trap, you know, going as far as that, then we had the, the awful, awful crash there in F2 as well on the Sunday, um, sadly, you know, there were some injuries to Enzo Fittipaldi and Teo Porcher, but they're both recovering, which is good to hear, so get well soon, guys, you know, it was a good day for Oscar Piastri, though, um, getting close to the F2 title as well, that's another story, um, and then, yeah, when we go into the F1 race, you know, the the stop-start nature of it with the yellow flag, sorry, not yellow flags, the red flags, the, the safety cars, virtual safety cars, you know, that kind of thing at a circuit like this breeds more safety cars and red flags and all that, you know, cold tires, cold brakes, cold mines, as um, Neil Crompton once um, coined, I love that saying, I love most of what Neil Crompton says, but that's also another story, um, 
Yeah, so it's that's basically how you know it things kind of unfolded, and especially with the title protagonist as well. Lewis Hamilton, you know, comes and gets the pole position on Saturday, and that was all because Max Verstappen ended up bombing his Q3 run right at the final corner. You know, he put in one of the most sensational laps, I think, of the year. You know, it would have been on par with um, what Hamilton and achieve, Hamilton had achieved at. Singapore a few years ago there's a, a lot of Singapore about this track too but a lot more high speed than than uh, the Marina Bay circuit and yeah Max bombing it at the final corner I think he took too much curb and just you know understeered or something and hit the outside wall so you know and his father Jos Verstappen not very happy in in classic Jos fashion just um you know hopefully he stayed clear of any Red Bull personnel or just anyone in the paddock otherwise you know there would have been assault charges pressed I'm sure at the end of that evening um and then for the race as well you know the win went in favor of Hamilton and the result ultimately with Max in second means that we head to Abu Dhabi tied on points you know I mean how I think the last time this happened was what 74 um, they were saying when Emerson Fittipaldi and Clay Regazzoni, uh, went into the final race tied on points, and, you know, different era, of course, different point system, but the fact that it's only happened, you know, um, like a couple of times in F1 history is quite fascinating as well, but it's all the stuff that happened in between that, you know, we're going to look at and talk about and try our best to, you know, deliver my viewpoint, because it's been very very, you know, a lot of the criticism and people on social media have been quite scathing. It's It's been awful all season, you know. I mean, I think uh, when it comes to social media and Formula One fans, you know, they seem to be some of the worst when it comes to um, going off at each other and, you know, really just getting offensive and things like that. And, you know, there's, there's banter and then there's, you know, just being plain rude and offensive. And, you know, a lot of people have stepped the line. Um, drivers in this race, you know, you could say stepped the line as well. And, you know, race control stepped the line as well with what's deemed, you know, just sensible and within ethical boundaries and all that sort of stuff. Um, so anyway, let's let's get into it before, you know, I get carried away. So it was a relatively clean start for both the Mercedes getting away because they ultimately locked out the front row of the grid with Verstappen only third quickest with that um, first lap that he set in Q2. We had a safety car out as early as lap 10 because Mick Schumacher had crashed out. Drivers had come in for tyres quite early, so that included the likes of Hamilton and Bottas, whilst Verstappen and Red Bull decided to gamble and stay out. So at the time, it was like, why didn't they come in? This is, you know, like they're gambling on another safety car or a red flag or something like that to happen. And then guess what happened? A red flag on lap 13 because the barriers in which um, Mick crashed into, similar to Leclerc's Charles Leclerc's incident during, I think, practice two it was, um, which also caused a red flag. They needed to be repaired. And any time we've seen this season that there's been damage to the tech pro barriers, if they've been moved in any sort of way, a red flag has always come out to repair them. So 
It's important that I mention that too, because what had transpired under this red flag was, of course, as we know, under red flag rules currently, when the drivers do ultimately halt, come to a halt in the pit lane or on the grid, wherever it may be, they are allowed to change their tyres. So this is where Max was able to switch over to the medium compound, um, whereas Hamilton basically came on the radio and questioned the damage to the barrier itself and says you know why why is there a red flag you know there's not much damage to the barrier i mean how can hamilton from where he's driving past you know and where that barrier was there was a tiny bit of runoff too so it's not like it's right next to the circuit but it's not like hamilton stopped to inspect the damage himself so the way he questioned that was i think a bit stupid and a bit uncalled for um you know and then when that moment happened, immediately there was questions being asked about why this rule exists of changing tires under the red flag, you know, being able to repair your car and all that sort of stuff as well, as long as you're replacing like-for-like parts or whatever, you know, and immediately when, you know, the Hamilton side of the fan base came into criticizing this rule it's like well Hamilton kind of benefited several benefited from it several times this season um particularly there in 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 Hungary also Imola I think Imola was the big one I'm not sure about Hungary so don't don't take me uh don't take me hostage for for mentioning that but what happened in Imola where he made a mistake and then um, the red flag went out because of the Bottas and uh, Russell incident and then he was basically able to get himself back onto the lead lap as well, mind you, um, with a fresh set of tyres and then to come back and finish on the podium. So, you know, if we're going to talk about what Max has done is heinous in this race in terms of changing tyres under the red flag because there's other things that Max does later in the race which is very ethically questionable and whatnot. Um... But yeah, what what he did by changing his tyres, that's the rules, you know, he's allowed to do it. And I understand why, you know, people are calling for that to change. But at the same time, it's like, how often do we get a red flag as well in a race? It's very, when it happens, obviously it's going to favour some people, it's not going to favour other people. You know, if we didn't have it at Monza last year, you know, we wouldn't have had the great finish to the race there that we did, you know, with Pierre Gasly winning and Carlos Sainz. So we didn't really hear much... Um, uproar about it there. It hurt, certainly, Lando Norris's race, for example, this time out. You know, he would have been on for a top 10 finish and ended up finishing, or not top 10 finish, I have to say. He should have finished further up in the top 10, yet he ended up down in 10th because he was outside the top 10 when uh, he pitted earlier before the red flag and then basically the red flag allowed the guys he was fighting such as you know the Ferraris and whatnot Giovinazzi Riccardo as well his own teammate who finished fifth in the race to get that free pit stop so I'm not so against it because it doesn't happen regularly enough for me to feel angry about it like obviously those isolated incidents where you know it, it it didn't favor Norris on this occasion yet it favored Max and then it favored Lewis back in Imola it's like yeah you know I mean if they if I wouldn't be against if they wrote that rule out let's say but at the same time you know there there just needs to be sense in what goes into how they change this rule or if they leave the rule as is as there should be for a lot of other things that um this this race is going to be so memorable for sense in in the rules and whatnot so while that's all happening we get another restart um 
on lap 15, I should say, uh, and then that was a standing start too, so we thought, yeah, you know, it was all all good, um, from there, uh, there was an incident where Max was seen to have passed Hamilton off track into turn one, so we, there was kind of being looked at by the stewards and by race control, Mas- Michael Massey as well, the race director, um, but, before any of that, you know, could be resolved and everything, we had another red flag out because George Russell was rear-ended by Nikita Mazepin, um, you know, in along the same lines of, you know, the, the incident that happened in Formula 2. It was a very horrific incident. Luckily, both drivers were fine. Um, Checo Perez as well, out of the race. Funny little meme of him standing by the by the track, you know, just waiting for something to happen, uh, waiting to be picked up, I guess, but um, not a good day for Red Bull in terms of the Constructors' Championship with Checo falling afoul of all the shenanigans there in the midfield and everything. Um, But yeah, we had the red flag, and then came some communication between Michael Massey, the race director, and, you know, with Mercedes, with Ron Meadows, who's the sporting director, as well as Jonathan Wheatley, who does the same job there for Red Bull. So, basically, it was like listening to an episode of Deal or No Deal. Um, (laughs) I used to love that show, believe it or not. Um, Like listening to an episode of Deal or No Deal, where uh, Massey basically tabled an offer to Red Bull, you know, saying, you know, this is my offer, you get Max to slot in behind Hamilton before the race, the next restart, and we won't be investigating it any further, um, which, you know, they complied with, of course, but what everyone didn't realise is that Esteban Ocon, the, you know, <laughs> the cunning little driver, or not little really, he's a very tall driver, <laughs> the cunning driver that he is, he was in the top three, so Ocon was P2, Verstappen P1, Hamilton third, so when the when race control said, oh yeah, you know, you've got a slot in behind Hamilton, it was two places ultimately that... Um, Verstappen was losing, so, you know, Ocon was still amongst there, poor Ocon, you know, having to, like, deal with this um, stuff with those top two guys, um, and then Hamilton would basically be in between he and, and Verstappen, so I think where I was trying to get with the gripe about Massey is that, you know, like, it just sounded a bit too... And maybe this is the problem too. Maybe it's because we hear these radio transmissions now between race control, the race director, and um, the team de- team personnel on the pit wall. It's like, you know, it's almost as if ignorance was bliss. You know, you kind of just made up or you kind of pictured what you would think that they would be saying. But because you get to hear all those conversations now, it does sound very much like a, a circus. You know, I'm not sure if that's how always it's been, regardless of the transmissions or not, or, you know, it's just gotten to be like this this year, but maybe in that instance we shouldn't shouldn't hear the communications as such, or, you know, if it's going to be like that, then, you know, let's deal with it in a more, I don't know, not, I mean, more professional, yeah. I don't know, I'll get to more in a sec, so we had the third restart for the race, and Max from third basically rounded up Hamilton and Ocon into turn one, it was a sensational overtake, three abreast into that corner, and then we basically had um, 
multiple VSCs throughout the rest of the race just to get the debris off the track at various points. So, of course, there was an incident between Sebastian Vettel and Yuki Tsunoda, which left the Alpha Tauri driver out of the race. And then I think Seb uh, did come into contact with Kimi. Sorry, Seb was out of the race. Tsunoda was classified 14th. You also had Seb or making contact with Kimi Raikkonen as well, his old mate uh, there, and Kimi classified in 15th. But then it was lap 37 where things kind of got a bit dicey and, you know, starting to blur the ethical boundaries and all that. So Hamilton got the run with DRS on Max going into turn one, yet it was a similar incident to Brazil where you know, did Max, you know, not try to make the corner just to force Hamilton off kind of thing, you know, it it looked like it, it definitely was then given a penalty as well, a five second time penalty came to Max for that, for pushing a driver off track, not giving him space, and that raises the question as to why not penalise Max in Brazil for that, you know, even though they had the hearing, then, you know, Mercedes protested it, um, at the next race, why not give him a penalty for that at turn four in Brazil, yet give him a penalty here, you know, you can't give him a penalty because of, he missed out in Brazil here, you know, each incident has got to be, you know, you got to look at it fairly, and whatnot, and to me, Brazil was a lot more, explicit, I guess, you know, it, it very much looked like, you know, given the radius of the corner at turn four, um, it looked like Max could have easily made that corner, unlike here, where it's a lot more tight and whatnot, and, you know, it looked very marginal, so that's the first thing, five-second penalty for this, and this is before the five-second penalty is handed down, because what had happened is Red Bull had instructed Max to return the position as per instructions from Michael Massey, um, and also apparently there was a communication breakdown as well, where Hamilton had not received instruction um, that, you know, or hadn't received communication that uh, Max was going to let him pass, so what had happened then is Max slowed on the straight just before the DRS detection, you know, and this is very smart of Max to do that because he's like, okay, well, if he gets ahead of me before the detection zone, I can get DRS and pass him on the next uh, on the next lap and the next DRS zone. But instead what happened, and that's because of the communication breakdown between race control, Mercedes, and then getting that message across to Lewis Hamilton, was that... Um, as Max slowed down to let Hamilton pass, and there was certainly enough room for Hamilton to pass if he had known what was going on, um, he ended up rear-ending Max, then accused him of brake-testing him as well, and wait, you know, it gets even better, they actually, at the time, they do nothing, but post-race, they launch an investigation, you know, and to summon the both drivers summon both the drivers to the stewards' room or whatever, and then give Max a 10-second time penalty post-race, not that it affected his finishing position whatsoever, and two penalty points on his um, super license, but, you know, for the brake testing. Now, what had happened here is essentially Max did the right thing in this situation, you know, so he slowed down 
to let him pass. There was enough room for Hamilton to pass. If Hamilton had received that message or, you know, maybe with a bit of common sense, realized that he was trying to let him pass, this wouldn't have happened. So at the end of the day, what it all looked like, the FIA, Race Control and Massey looked like clowns at a circus, you know, and I feel really you know, sick when Christian Horner as well after the race says things like, you know, a lot of things Christian Horner said this season has made me feel sick anyway, but Horner saying that, you know, making comments like, oh, you know, we really missed Charlie Whiting today. That's totally unwarranted, you know, um, rest in peace, Charlie. I think as well, it's just a total lack of disrespect that these top teams have for, for Michael Massey and, you know, I mean... Massey doesn't really do much to um, make himself look better in this instance, but seriously, you know, someone's got to put the foot down, whether it's the FIA that talks to its, you know, its people who are in race control for Formula One, because Formula One is meant to be the jewel in the crown for the FIA. And if it looks like that the races are being run by clowns at a circus then, you know, it looks like a joke to everyone, of course. So the fact that, you know, Max got a five-second penalty for um, for blocking Lewis or, you know, running him off the track at turn one here, but then when he tried to rectify that on the straight by letting Hamilton pass, gets a post-race 10-second penalty for, for brake testing him, that's an absolute joke. And then the fact that, you know, you've got both drivers essentially hating each other's guts and, you know, willing to do anything, Monza, a perfect example of that, um, you know, they've got to, someone's got to draw a line, you know, I mean, are we expecting in Yas Marina <laughs> this weekend that, you know, are both drivers going to make it past, you know, sector one, for example, you know, are they going to make it past turn one even? Because um, if if both drivers fail to finish or fail to score points in this final race, uh, Max would be crowned champion on the countback of wins this season, which he's got one more than um, Hamilton does. So we don't want it to end like that, of course. And you know, if we've seen um, championships in the past end that way, um, Suzuka '89, 1990 between Alan Prost and Ayrton Senna over at the first corner, then you know '94 with Schumacher and Hill as well. It's just, yeah, we don't want this kind of conclusion to what's largely been a great year, a great championship, but when you've got someone like Max who's going to be relentless and, you know, he's basically the equivalent of a rabid dog that you've got to, that no one can reel in, and Hamilton, you know, he's not going to back down either as much as he says, you know, I'm not going to cross that line and, you know, I'm going to do the right thing and everything. I mean, Silverstone, for example, you know, both weren't going to give up going into that corner, yet, you know, one came out of it, one didn't, kind of thing, so it doesn't matter, you know, what what they say, it's what we're seeing them do on track, which is really causing this friction and, you know, this hatred between fan bases and the community and all that, and then the, the team principal's not really, or well, Christian Horner's not really doing much to help the situation either, but at the end of the day, like, as I said, I want to respect and admire the job that Massey's doing. You know, he 
was thrust into the position at the 11th hour, you know, on the eve of the Australian Grand Prix when, when Charlie Whiting sadly passed away. And, you know, largely he's done a great job. But some of the decisions this year and some of the stewarding in particular, well, stewarding has been a problem, I think, for a long time. And that's another thing that, you know, I've said for a while that why not just have a consistent panel of stewards for every race, you know, or have, you know, like supercars do, for example, not that it's it's probably a great example, but, you know, a driving standards observer as well, as well as your steward panel. And that person stays the same because at least they can, you know, an ex-driver perhaps that's not you know one of the sky crew for example because they as well have been quite horrible this weekend with their um you know unbiased and opinions that you know they've been putting out on the broadcast or whatever I would love it if I could just find a feed of the race this weekend without any commentary at all and just you know soak it in that way because seriously it's it's been horrible the way that you know each other has been portrayed and you know just trying to you know, Damon Hill, especially, just because he's probably still salty about Schumacher in 94, and the fact that he compares um, Max to, to Schumacher as well, I mean, I've, I've not, I've not ex- had an explosion, not that, you know, you might say that this is an explosion, but I've not been able, to, I haven't expressed this level of thought, and, you know, I'm so surprised I haven't dropped any swear words yet either, because during the week, honestly, I've been having quite a rant about this, but it's, yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah, what they need to do after this season, I think, is have a good sit down. The FIA, I know there's a new president coming in as well, which John Todd's final race as FIA president as well there at the um, at the Saudi Grand Prix. The new president of the FIA needs to sit down with the likes of Ross Braun, with Stefano Domenicali, Michael Massey as well. Because, you know, I don't think sacking Massey, you know, I mean, of course, anything bad happens, you are, you're almost like you always say sack the person or whatever. That I don't think that's going to solve anything. Sit down with the rule book and look into, you know, what can we change? You know, what can we simplify? Because there are parts of the sport that are too over-regulated, yet with these over-regulations or these so many regulations that they have, they still make mistakes or they still don't make the right call as in that, you know, they make a call in one race yet for the next one, they don't. So let's say they make the call on Lando Norris there in Austria at the Red Bull ring yet. Then Brazil turn four, they don't make a call on, on Max yet. Then here in Saudi at turn one, they do, you know, where's the consistency in that? (laughs) Um, And that's where it just looks, it does look like a circus. It does look like a bit of a joke. And it's so sad because, as I said, it's the jewel in the crown for the FIA. You know, Formula One is supposed to be setting standards, you know, for everything that they do, uh, you know, in global motorsport. Yet when it comes to the adjudication and the officiating, they've really, you know, this weekend in particular, they've really let the whole sport down. They've let motorsport down. And, you know, I don't know what you're going to change for the final race. Um, let's see what happens in the final race, you know, because these two drivers are not going to, to they're not going to stand down um, until, you know, basically they're just 
at each other with their fists at the <laughs> in in Park Ferme or at the side of the track. So after the season, they're just going to have to all sit down. They're going to have to look at the rule book, make some real honest, serious decisions about what are we going to do for 2022 because this can't continue. And if, you know, we see more of this stuff happen next year, then that's when you can start asking questions about, you know, whether Massey is the right um, candidate to do race control. Why not get um, Tim Schenken? He's out of the... <laughs> he's um, retired now from supercars race race directing, even though people might say he doesn't... didn't do a very good job of that at times either. But, you know, personally, I, I really love Eduardo Freitas from... from endurance racing and the WEC he's you know uh, he's got a great voice as well with um, when when they put not that that matters or whether they've got a good voice or whatever but um you know his decisions are not very controversial either it's to the point there's just not a lot of there's no none of this 50 shades of gray nonsense in the middle it's black and white that's how the rule book should be it should be consistent and you know looked at Every race, you know, if the same incident happens, you know, the same penalty applied. No, you know, okay, 10-second post-race penalty for Max for the brake test and then also give him five seconds because of uh, the, the pass at turn one or whatever. Just, that's not on. Not on at all. Not happy, Jan. Not happy. And that doesn't escape from, you know, let's say um, Hamilton as well saying that, you know, Basically, the rules, all the other drivers obey the rules and rules of engagement and all that, except for one, you know, and yes, Max has been a bit naughty of that and does seem a bit entitled in that respect. So, you know, that might be something that, you know, Red Bull and Max or, you know, the FIA and Max have got to have a conversation about too, because we love the, we love those kind of characters. We love those kind of on the edge things. But when you go over the edge, that's when, you know, you have a problem and, I know, going back years ago when Max actually made his debut in F1 2015, the question was always whether, you know, with the way that he was driving back then, how is that going to evolve? You know, is he going to get a lot more better? Is his temperament going to improve? Or are we going to see those explosions which we have seen at times this year? So... Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, and, you know, it, it just wasn't a good look for the sport at all, um, and left, you know, after such a great race at Bathurst, the Bathurst 1000, um, it just left a very bitter taste in my mouth after the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, and yeah, you know, hopefully the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix is a bit different than that. And I'm hoping that, you know, I've I've expressed to you guys, my listeners, um, anyone listening, how I feel on this. You know, it might not feel as, you know, clear and concise as, as some people, but it's, it's left me frustrated to the point where, <laughs> you know... Like why why bother kind of thing you know it's it's gonna ruin the championship for the rest of the year you know whoever wins at the end of the day we're all gonna be still arguing with each other and debating with each other about or tearing each other's um, ears off 
about, you know, all these incidents that we've had this year, which is really sad because we've had some great races, we've had some great results, you know, and overall it's been pretty positive, but just this this sort of negative stuff has come through and, you know, a lot's got to change going into next year, so we ensure that this doesn't happen again. So, Elsewhere, believe it or not, there was, you know, a lot of other things going on in the race too, you know, which, you know, is easily to mi- easy to miss when, when you just look at what happened here between Hamilton and Verstappen. Um, finishing in third was Valtteri Bottas, of course, so Ocon doing such a great job to hang on for most of the race, but Bottas just had the better tyres, had the better pace to pip him on the final lap, mind you, coming out of the final corner, he was able to get ahead of Ocon. Otherwise, for the most part of the race, Ocon did what he was supposed to do in in Qatar and defended like a lion. So he, he did very good there. And still fourth is a great finish for him and for, for Alpine. They're ahead of uh, AlphaTauri in the Constructors' Championship by 29 points at the moment. So unless they have a horrible day in Abu Dhabi, or horrible evening, I should say, and AlphaTauri somehow can score, you know, 30 points or whatever with both their drivers. Um, they've got that fifth place in the Constructors' Championship sewn up, so great result for them. Daniel Ricciardo, Carlos Sainz, um, Ricciardo finishing in fifth after not making it into the top 10 again in qualifying, and Sainz as well, um, who qualified 11th, I think, and finished eighth in the race. They benefited from the red flag pit stop, after the first red flag, I should say, whereas Lando Norris didn't and finished in 10th again. So a very lean uh, points haul for Lando in the last few races, which has really hurt them in this back half of the championship. And, you know, that third place does seem like it's... Well, mathematically, it's not lost, but again, you know, it would take a McLaren 1-2 and for Ferrari to not finish the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix for them to get third, and I feel like fourth is not a reflect, you know, the results that we've seen, have they've not been a reflection of their efforts, you know, certainly Lando has done such a great job this season, Ricardo again, just, you know, next year, he's got to really show his worth, as much as I love the guy, um, but yeah, you know, the benefit of having two drivers like Leclerc and Saints, I mean, I'm th- <laughs> the whole season, I've just been waking up every morning thinking, and this is an exaggeration, by the way. I don't think of think of this every morning I wake up. But, you know, you take science out of McLaren, who, you know, for the last two years did a brilliant job, um, and then put him into Ferrari, and he just keeps doing that amazing job there at Ferrari with Leclerc. Whereas, you know, Ricardo. Just, yeah, you know, would, I would have loved it if science had stayed, but, you know, when when the Scuderia come calling, you know, the prestige of driving for Ferrari in your Formula One career, then you've obviously got to take, you've got to take that offer, and of course, you know, there would have been a bit of cashola to go with it as well, so, you know, not, not being resentful at all to Carlito, because I, I really like the driver, and you know, good on him for making that move, but yeah, you know, that just shows you the impact of having two great drivers, two consistent drivers in your lineup that, you know, even when they can't make good in in qualifying, you know, they're going to get a result for you in the race, you know, and the pressure that Leclerc had on his shoulders last year certainly come off, and, um, you know, he's been able to do his own thing, and if he's had a bad weekend, well, you can guarantee that 
Carlito or Science has been up there too um, and getting the results and the points that the team has needed. So good on them. I think this is probably the most nicest things I've said about Ferrari in a long time. Anyway, good good for them and you know we'll, we'll see what happens next year when we have the new cars. So both Ferraris in the top 10 again, 7th and 8th for Leclerc and Science, Pierre Gasly in 6th, solid as always. Um... Bit of a messy race for Aston Martin, obviously with Seb out of the race, but Lance Stroll coming in, coming home in 11th. He could have easily got some points, I think, on the day, but, you know, it just didn't turn out that way. Latifi 12th, good for him. Alonso 13th, so, like, after the weekend that he had last time out at La Salle, this weekend was the absolute opposite, and then, obviously, not making it out of um, Q2 either and then you've got Sonoda, Raikkonen who were involved in the incidents with Vettel and then Russell, Perez, Mazepin and Shumi out of the race as the retirement so yeah hopefully I um, I did my best to, to recount and try and get my point across of how I felt about that race um, heading into Yas Marina this weekend um Obviously, I go on about the memories I had, you know, going there in 2014 for the first ever um, championship showdown between Hamilton and Rosberg, and that was a bit of a disappointment, but, you know, great weekend, and, you know, I, it was basically the last time I was able to go overseas too, so it's always going to be a bit of a fond one in the memory banks, but yeah, you know, the fact that it's like eight years ago now, hey, that's, that's quite a long time, so hopefully the changes as well to the track, you know, I think that's been kind of lost amongst, you know, all the other things going on, um, the changes to the Yasmarina track, you know, with the reprofiling of the hairpin there, where the Northern Grandstand is, and basically making it a lot quicker, removing that chicane and everything and adding a bit of banking, hopefully means we'll get some more overtaking and a bit more excitement. Um, I saw as well that, you know, they've introduced some of those, um, I'm just going to call them shark tooth type curbs that we had at La Salle as well, so a bit of peril for the drivers too, because we know Yas Marina is a bit of a car park and track limits is always a sore topic, you know, with people going off and getting advantages and all that sort of thing, so hopefully it creates a bit of peril and whatnot, but yeah, overall it's, um, you know, it's it's been a long year and we're here we are, like I had this moment, you know, yesterday I should say, um, I think it was yesterday where I was like, not next week, but the week after is Christmas, god damn it, <laughs> you know, it's it's come on us so quickly, but then again, this whole year feels like it's it's a year of two halves, where it feels like two years rolled into one, you know, it's just time is moving very differently, and when you spend um, four or five months in a, in a lockdown again as well, it, it does kind of make it stretch, so we've, we've made it though, we've made it to the final race, and um, yeah, I can't wait to come back next week and summarise it, hopefully you know, in a sensible manner too, that we have a uh, 2021 F1 world champion, so, you know, I'm not giving any, anything away as to who, um, who will win, as in, like, who do I want to win, I'm still pretty, pretty, you know, on the fence with that, you know, may the best driver win on the day, and that's where I'm going to leave it. 
quick little drinks break there before I get into the supercars. A little um, little nod or shout out to the cricket as well, the Ashes series. And again, like this is what kind of throws me the fact that we're still in the F1 season and the summer of cricket here in Australia has started um, and the test matches as well. So, you know, go... Go the Aussies, of course. Um, I mean, it, it looks fairly one-sided at the moment. So, sorry to all the England supporters out there. I'm sure, you know, you can do what my mate Josh has done and, you know, claim your dual citizenship or whatever. <laughs> um, and put on your Aussie Aussie hats as well. Get behind get behind uh, our mob. Just, just enjoy it, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk supercars and some Bathurst 1000, you know, and end this podcast on a bit of a, a sweet note, as I said at the start. And that's what made me happy this weekend because Chaz Mostert and Lee Holdsworth won the Bathurst 1000. Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, their first win at the Bathurst 1000 um, since they came that group came together, but for the Walkinshaw name, first win at the Mountain since 2010, so, you know, great timing there, um, and also the first time that a combination has won from pole position since 2009 as well, and that was, of course, uh, Walkinshaw entry as well, Holden Racing Team, uh, Garth Tander, and will davison on that day doing it so excellent top 10 shootout or epic top 10 shootout lap there from Chaz Moster to beat scott mclaughlin's overall um practice record there in 2019 of course mclaughlin's uh, top 10 shootout time was disqualified or erased because of the um, engine infringement um but such a great session because Brody Kostecki's provisional pole lap was so epic that, you know, we're like, can anyone beat this? And then along comes Chaz Mostert, who, let's be fair, the, the number 25 appliances online car all weekend was on the pace from immediately when they rolled out in the practice sessions and in the co-driver only sessions as well. Lee Holdsworth was top, you know, top driver. So great stuff from them all weekend. And it just, you know, like goes to show how underrated Lee Holdsworth is as well. You know, I've always been a fan of his for, you know, ever since I've been watching supercars and, you know, he's been through quite a rough time, you've got to say, you know, with with like Stone Brothers transitioning over to Aero, Aeros Motorsport, struggling with the, the Mercedes E63s that he, he was there for a few years with and then... Uh, when Charlie Schwerkolt started up the Team 18, um, Team 18 or whatever, um, when they were still running it from the Walkinshaw garage before he went in fully independent, you know, they didn't see much success either together. And then, of course, going over to Tickford, where you thought, you know, Tickford's a great team, they're a big team, they should be able to get some podiums and win, but, you know, then... Even even the fact that he was quick last year at Bathurst, he was still out of a drive for this year, and you know he was fought you know good for him to pick up um, the co-driving gig there with Mostert, and I had an inkling and just a feeling all year, you know, I'm like you know of course Walkinshaw's not in the championship this year, Mostert's not in the championship, but I have a feeling that they can go on and 
and pick up the win at Bathurst. You know, that would that would make it for me this season, really. Um, and they did, and it was so it was so good, such a great feeling. Um, start of the race, we saw Tony D'Alberto in the Shell V Power number eleven car with Anton Di Pasquale. D'Alberto beat Lee off the front row, led early um, on in the first lap, but by the end of the first lap got the got the lead back there to the appliances online car garth tander of course always hustling positions behind the top two to get up there um poor staff james moffat though in the monster energy mustang there with cameron waters he dropped six places and then there was a lot of work to do for the erebus cars as well because despite the fact that um they did qualify well inside the top 10, you know, in the top 10 shootout, they were both disqualified for a um, technical infringement. Their doors were underweight, but they found a park ferme, so they both got sent to the back of the top 10, so not disqualified from qualifying altogether. It was just the top 10 shootout. Um, Brody Kostecki and David Russell certainly did a great job, though, for the number 9 car there of Will Brown and Jack Perkins. There was trouble early on. Um, Perkins encountering a power steering problem on lap 30 and um, had to bring the car into the garage. Poor Jack, you know, you could see the emotion on his face and that's what Bathurst does to you. It's either going to be kind to you or it's going to inflict misery. And, you know, it's, it's more often than not that you get the miserable moments at, at Mount Panorama than you do the good moments. So he slouched in, in the cockpit, you know, in the Erebus garage, as they said about fixing it. They ended up finishing their race five laps off the off the lead, you know, and, you know, once you're in that situation, it's very hard to dig your way out of it. Um, unless they invent some stupid rule about, you know, unlapping yourself five times if, if there is a, uh, if there's a safety car or something like that. I'm sure under a red flag, it's possible, but you know, at the same time, it's like, it's, it's such a big waste of time. Um, and then in the middle of the race, you had a problem for the leading car for Mostert, who for most of the race, they looked, they were just untroubled. They were doing such a great job. Holdsworth was doing his thing um, during the co-driver stints, but there was a delamination for for Moster. And, you know, the minute we started seeing him slow down, coming down Conrad straight, it was like, oh my God, please do not, uh, no, don't, don't, don't do this, don't do this. Um, although his engineer, Adam Debore, which I've got to say, you know, like that's such a great partnership between Debore and um, uh, Moster, you know, go on about... Uh, uh, Ludo Lacroix, Scott McLaughlin in the past, and you know Scott McLaughlin and as well with um, oh God, I forgot his name now. Uh, Holloway, R- Richard <laughs> Richard Crust. I was going to call him Crusty. I think that's his nickname, Crusty Holloway. Um, when he was a Gary Rogers as well, you know, there's been some great engineering and driver partnerships, and Debore and Mostert is probably up there for one of the best. Um, and yeah, you know, the way Debore was on the radio with him sounded pretty calm, so didn't think it was, you know, a terminal issue as such, but it did mean he lost the lead of the race for, for a while there, um, but that car just had such incredible pace that it saw him recover in next to no time. Um, then, you know, the most Aussiest of things happen, you know, cause this is Bathurst. It's like, you know, also a wildlife, um, uh, park as well <laughs> not really but you know you always get visit from the local wildlife during the race 56 laps to go we had a safety car out for not a kangaroo this time even though we did see an albino um roo 
earlier in the race, but an echidna at the cutting. So as if you guys don't know, you know what echidnas are and the story about them, little little spiky critters, they're actually an endangered species. So the way that the drivers did their best to avoid this little critter, um, as it tried to waddle its way across the track to to at the around the cutting on the run into turn four. It was so cute, you know. I sent I sent a picture uh, when that happened to my partner who was at work. I'm like, oh my god, the cutest thing happened during the the Bathurst race. You know, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even imagine what it could have been until you watch it and you see it. And then watching the replay of you know all the cars trying to like avoid it, you know, take avoiding action was just such heart in your mouth stuff. It's like, oh my god, is it gonna hit it? Is it gonna is the car gonna hit it? But no, you know the echidna. Completed its crossing and it was it safely made it to the other side of the track and was was gone before you knew it. And after the safety car came back in, there was quite a kerfuffle. Well, not a kerfuffle. There was a really good battle at the front there with with SVG with Jamie Wincup as well. So um, Van Gisberg and Cunning as always kind of hung Chaz out to dry going into the cutting, which kind of let Jamie pass and into p2 and then Chaz was like as far behind as fourth I think you know and he was getting close to the likes of Cameron Waters at the top of the hill which you know made me very nervous because every time Mostard and Waters have gotten together at Bathurst always some really bad stuff happens so luckily that didn't happen um and then after that, we got further safety cars because we had crashes individually for the Matt Stone racing cars. So Jaden Odeja, Jaden Odeja with uh, Zane Goddard, he crashed first. And then um, Jake Kostecki crashing there at Forest Elbow as well. I think he was escorted actually by another driver. I can't recall who it was. But and in this time, Mostert was able to recover um, into the lead as well. And then finally, with seven laps to go... Another twist, a cruel twist, you've got to say, for Shane Van Gisbergen, because he suffers a tyre failure akin to the 25. So their day, with seven laps to go, done quite painfully here in Garth Tander. You know, there was such a chance that they could have gone back-to-back there and also cap off the season for Shane as well, winning the championship. But alas, that was not the case. And Chazzy got to hang on to win the race there with Holdsworth. Um, Brody Kostecki, David Russell benefiting from that tyre failure as well to get their first ever finish at Bathurst. Brody, of course, being a rookie this year, full-time in supercars. So great effort for him. And, you know, great run of form for the Erebus team at the end of this season since the um, uh, Sydney Motorsport Park quartet of race weekends. Uh, they've done such a great job and sad for Will Brown, obviously, and Jack Perkins to, to finish uh, down there. Last of the classified runners, I've got to say, too. Um, finishing second on the podium was Waters and Moffat, so runners up again for the number six car. I'm sure Cam will get there. They just didn't quite have the pace this weekend compared to the likes of the Red Bull guys and also Mostert. And then how about this? Fourth place for Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes in Wincup's final weekend as a full-time driver as he goes into retirement and you know not a lot I guess you know not a lot of good stuff gets said about Win Cup I'm afraid and you know I'm I'm guilty as well in the past of having been a an anti-Win Cup person but 
you know, his record, over 500 races um, contested, 124 wins, and a record seven championships. The numbers don't lie, you know, when you've got to say that he's the GOAT, you know. he You've got to put him in the same category as your Michael Schumacher's, your Valentino Rossi's, and your Lewis Hamilton's as well. And, you know, I'm sure he will be back, you know, next year to do um, endurance racing again, do another Bathurst 1000 whether Craig Lowndes will be back as well, might be down to a wild card next year, who knows, you know, it'd be nice to see them do a wild card together, but it's probably more likely that we'll see Win Cup pair up with um, with Brock Feeney or something if uh, the 97 car gets to keep the Garth Tander, Van Gisberg and partnership going, and Sad, you know, for Brock Feeney too, he and Russell Ingle, their wild card this year, the super cheap auto car, they were on for a um, a top 10 finish, it would have been a solid points finish, you know, and then um, he crashed out towards the end of the race, did Feeney, so that was quite sad, but you know, he did a great job, great audition for next year as well for when he slots into the 88 car of Wincup when he goes, but yeah, you know, that's that's the end of Jamie Wincup's full-time supercars career, so congratulations to him, um, finishing fifth, rounding out the top five, Bryce Fullwood and Warren Luff, and of course, um, you know, with the Walkinshaw team winning the race as well, it was solid for, for Luffy and for Fullwood to come in and finish second, sorry, in, in fifth, you've got to say, um, Warren has been quite the, uh, quite the Bathurst specialist, you've got to say, over the years, so, you know, he coming in and helping out young Bryce there, of course, Fullwood's final drive for Walkinshaw and Dreddy United before he moves off to Brad Jones Racing next year too, I think it was a good way for him to sign off there, and same for Nick Perkout as well, you know, Nick Perkout finishing sixth there with Dale Wood, he's moving to Walkinshaw, you know, <laughs> Walkinshaw and Dreddy United next year from Brad Jones Racing, I'm sure they would have liked to done better but again just the brad jones cars not really having the pace this weekend um another one of the tickford cars there in seventh james courtney thomas randall they did find a bit of trouble early in the race you know they got stuck in the gravel but that on the outside of turn one but they did come back in todd hazelwood dean fiore for brad jones as well in eighth and tim slade tim blanchard in ninth um down five positions from where they qualified but you know still a top 10 finish is great um sob story there for will davison and alex davison at the shelby power racing team not as bad though as obviously the non-classified finish for Di Pasquale and alberto who arguably and you know you don't even need to argue the point really they just looked the better car all weekend and the better combination simple stiff there you go, move it on, um, and then, yeah, outside the top 10, you had your um, Kelly Grove Racing, David, David Reynolds, Luke Yulden there in 11th, and final weekend as well for, for the Kelly uh, family in being involved in this team too, so, you know, 11th might not be what they had wanted, but, you know, it's, it's still a good result, and I'm sure, you know, um, Todd Kelly, Rick Kelly, they can hold their heads high, you know, as they go into whatever they're going to do next in their uh, lives, so congratulations to them, they've been real stalwarts in supercars for the last two decades, uh, whether because they're driving or team ownership, but, you know, we do thank them and look forward to what the Groves have to offer next year. So, yeah, that kind of, you know, rounds out the highlights and stuff about um, this year's Bathurst 1000. I think that's that's pretty much it. You know, it's it rounds out what's been another, uh, you know, mammoth 
or just a big season in terms of, you know, like a lot going on, you know, you had the sale of supercars as well, a lot, uh, Gen 3 being delayed to 2023 now, which, you know, by the way, seeing the Gen 3 cars for the first time as well on track was quite something, you know, the, the Chevrolet, the Camaro in particular, the Chevrolet Camaro is just, you know, not being able to speak properly here, the Chevrolet Camaro, seeing that for the first time, you know, in, on track, because the Mustang we already know looks like a really good car, but the Camaro in homologated race form looks looks excellent, and I'm sure it's going to really propel the GM brand um, for decades to come, or, or however years to come, I should say. I shouldn't say decades. Who knows? Um, it looks really good. So, other than that, as I yawn, you know, just just throwing in a little yawn there. It's only what ten to ten to three in the afternoon here. Going to boot up some Halo Infinite, I think, you know, and, and watch a bit more of the test match. Um, other than that, I think that's that's about it for this week. It's a big, big, big podcast, of course, a lot to talk about. Um, hopefully, there'll be only good things to talk about next week after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, but this is reality and this is Formula One, of course. There's always going to be a heartbreak story and tales of frustration and anger and all that, but um, yeah, you know, it is, it is, what it is. We we take what we're given um, and we we make the best of it what we can. So anyway, thanks for joining me this week. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at hit the apex media. Um, I did the I did a qualifying episode with F1 Chronicle and Grid Talk podcast last weekend too, so you can check that out as always. But just check them out for their content this coming weekend. So they've got the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix qualifying review, the race review, and then season review straight afterwards as well, which will um, be done on the Monday, and it'll be Tuesday here, but um, yeah, Monday in UK time, and a special tribute to Kimi Raikkonen as well, which um, I'll be a part of tomorrow, so yeah, or tomorrow, Australia, it'll be my morning when when they record on their, their Thursday evening, so please do keep a lookout for that, but other than that, thank you joining for joining me, and I will see you next week. Ta-ta!